Welcome to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers, and we're talking about regenerative solutions that you can use in your daily life right now, as well as what's coming down the pipe with experts and leaders from around the world so you can know what steps you need to take to guarantee an abundant future for you and yours. Thank you for being here. Have you ever wondered how some people who work full-time right alongside you have epic gardens with yields all summer long? (laughs) They make it look effortless. Meanwhile, you're struggling to get things water, to amend the soil, to prune, to harvest, to chop and drop, and it kind of steals the fun from you. I kind of was there at a, at one point, you know, in my development as a gardener. There was this lady up the hill who grew 10,000 pounds of tomatoes on a quarter of an acre. She was, you know, known for this in our area. What was she doing? I actually have a video of what she was doing on my Facebook page and, and my YouTube, and I'll link it to it in the description. She was irrigating her gardens and orchards with her duck pond water, with duck manure in the water, right? It fed those tomatoes superbly. I didn't have the money, ducks, permission, or really mechanical know-how to pull off her system on my land. Plus, it was so dry where we were that the debate over water was always an issue. So perpetually pouring new water into a pond didn't make sense for us. How could I get from point A to point B with no money? Well, I figured it out and did it while still a public school teacher struggling to make ends meet. I scaled up to a full two acre garden, managed with nothing but a knife, a shovel, manure, some animal, straw, pallets, some fencing in the early stages before I stopped using them, and animal feed. It took a progression. One you can see on Powers Permaculture Family Farm on Facebook, if you'd like to go back in time and see my trial and error, It took some tinkering and some places are more stubborn than others, but I changed our barren decomposed granite into rich, deep, dark chocolate colored loam in only a few seasons. And in some places within a season due to placement in the landscape. The key is to partner with nature and its cycles. So small animals, they can provide soil prep, manure, landscape prep, weed removal, old bedding for composting and mulch. We've had Angoran fiber goats, which look like they're sheep. They're like got dreadlocks and they're really short. And then I've also had our Nubian, which was our milker. And our Nubian got crossed with a kinder. And so we had a kinder Nubian cross. And I loved my, my baby goats. Oh, I love them so much. Uh, it was, I, that's one of my, one of my big, you know, regrets leaving California was losing my goats. All right, I, I, I hand fed them uh, over their first night of life. I bottle fed them so that they would um, be kind and nice to humans and expect humans to always be nice to them. Uh, that's how you, you fix that. Uh, and I had two girls, so it was this beautiful thing that usually what happens is someone ends up wanting two girls and they get a boy or two boys. And the problem is, with males is they get stinky. <laughs> and so people fix them, and these are called weathers, and they're less valuable. Um, people usually you know, grow them and eat them for meat or use them for clearing brush or preparing areas. But you know you can get one for $50 or free. And then you can clear an area with this goat, and you know you really have to make sure that your goat has a companion. It's really not fair to animals to not give them companions. So you should have goats. 
So you should have at least another goat to pair with your goat. And it could be a milker with a fiber goat. That's fine. You can mix it up and everything or an alpaca with your goat. But don't leave them alone. Don't let them be alone. So you can, you can have your goats go out in a thin uh, an area and then you can go in afterwards and then chop things down and then plant, plant after them. You can have your chickens follow after them and take it down even further and plant after them. Totally depends on what you're doing. Chickens. All right, so roosters are sometimes free if you have friends hatching their own chickens because they'll get tons of roosters. While they may not lay any eggs, they're hard workers and can till and scratch, shred manure, and work the chicken tractor as well as any chicken. I also find that they do not fight without ladies around. And if you keep the ceiling low in your chicken tractor so they can't jump and do that classic, you know, the jump, spur, pounce move they do, that's like their opening move always. They're like, bah! you know, so you got to um, just limit that. And, and I, I just haven't seen it. They, they're just focused on working for you and they love it i mean maybe they realize that this is their place it's all the guys who are like just let's get to work guys i don't know what it is but they really don't um fight i've never seen any of them get damaged when i put only roosters together in a chicken tractor they just get to work similar to rabbits um you know all you have to do is get two of the opposite sex and you'll have plenty very soon they also provide amazing manure it's like magic manure and they perform well as lawn mowers in a tractor, but you need to bottom fence it, otherwise they'll just travel onward. And then ducks, like chickens, but, but a little bit different. You know, they do better in more humid, wet conditions. Chickens, they need that dry, you know, they need to do their dust bath. So it's not a, you know, a total rule that like ducks are wet, humid, and chickens are dry, but there's definitely an overlap between the two, don't get me wrong. You know, duck tractors in Hawaii work extremely well, for instance, but, you know, that would be harder in Tucson, Arizona. And I think we all know that. All right, now plants. Using natives, you can use them for chop and drop, for compost, for your hardy edges, for hardy tree guilds. And then you can do like a hardy edge and then the inside is all your other things that are your, not, your garden, your uh, orchard, all those kinds of things. The natives are going to be stuff that you can gather seed from for free. And then speaking of seed saving, you know, start seed saving. So you spend a dollar on seeds and then you save those seeds and then suddenly you get tons of seed. You can trade some seed and get some more seed. You go to a seed swap, get tons more seed. So save money and get tons of seed with seed saving. And then, you know, like I mentioned before, mulch plants, that's free fertilizer and organic matter. You know, you're going to feed those those microbes in the soil. They're going to release in their waste fertilizer for plants. So this is like huge win-win for everybody. Legumes, nitrogen fixers. Get into growing beans and having legume and nitrogen fixer shrubs and bushes that you can just chop down and constantly just regrow and regrow. And you know, if you've got a small yard, you might want to stay away from these giant aggressive legume nitrogen fixing trees. Cause they're aggressive they'll just take over everything you know you got to be very careful with these things wisely appropriately use them um willow i partner with willow in my systems it makes for an amazing rooting hormone you cut that new growth and then you go and boil it in like for an hour in water and then leave that overnight and just let it just leave it alone that's rooting hormone that is the best rooting hormone I can find. It's better than anything found in the stores. And, you know, the FFA teacher 
you know, believe it or not, tested my willow rooting hormone at school. And she's not an organic, like, you know, advocate at all. And she was shocked, but the rooting hormone that I made was by far superior. So this is, you know, you know, some proof uh, from an experiment from, you know, an impartial third party that, you know, would have liked to have disproven me. (laughs) And then aloe, lemon balm, and other medicinals. You can save a lot of money on these expensive medicines from CVS by growing plants. And then teas, you know, we spend a lot of money on herbal teas, but you can grow them so easily. And then once they start taking off and you're seed saving, you can spread them or divide them and spread them even further and share eventually with friends. So um, you want to you, you wanna use plants in all your systems as best you can. They're absolutely incredible. Now, getting deeper. Partnering with the soil food web. Fungi and bacteria have this relationship and it's related to pH, the secession of plants into old growth forest, and even the nitrogen cycle. So when pH is acidic, it's more fungal dominant. That means there's greater numbers of fungi. That doesn't mean that it's like the king and no one needs bacteria or something. It's, you know, no. they all work together. We need every all the players. We can't destroy or genetically modify one player and expect not to make everything affected as it scales up. Um, it doesn't work like, you know, this whole idea of evolution where you have the greater kingdoms leading to the other kingdoms and all this stuff. No, everything's important. Everything's part of, you know, interwoven that, uh, Darwinian idea is now totally smashed and disproven. So bacteria and fungi, that's what I'm saying when I say dominant. It's the numbers. It is not their roles. For instance, in the flip side, where it is alkaline, fungi and bacteria are flipped in the roles, but it's bacterial dominant. But in areas where you know it's super disturbed, it's bacterial, the thing that is going to, in hybrid situations, the thing that's going to facilitate bacteria to work, well, that would be fungi. So um, if we don't have fungi, we can't have the start of, of the system, which is fascinating because if you think about how the dead dirt of the earth was originally inoculated with life, it was probably fungi doing it. All right, so pH. So that's what's going on. On the bacteria side, you know, that's where we are establishing systems. That's like the beach. That's like the disturbed area. That's like the field that's been tilled to death. And then you go further in and it starts becoming more even. That's our gardens. That's pH seven. And then it gets a little bit more acidic, pH six. And we're talking like, oh, there's our blueberries and then You know, and then we're going a little bit further and then we're like pine trees, evergreens, and it's very fungal dominant. You go in there and you find that white mycelium in the forest floor everywhere. And there's not those small plants, the animals that make seeds everywhere. You got a lot of big, you know, it just switches. Now the nitrogen cycle switches too. So at neutral, above neutral, And where it's alkaline, bacteria and fungi, their waste, the nitrogen in their waste is nitrate. And below that, it is ammonium. 
So what we have to realize is that's different foods. So the nitrate, that is vegetative growth, and the ammonium is reproductive growth. So we need both. We need no-till. We need pockets of both. And then we also need to understand it's a spectrum. So if it's a spectrum, then some things are going to need no disturbance. Some things are going to need little, and some things are going to need quite a bit. And then we have to keep our systems in that system with that bacteria. And the best way to do it, if you have a no-till system and you want something bacterial dominant, is to make compost or compost here, compost extract, that is keyed in to exactly where you are on the spectrum of pH. So you have the right form of nitrogen and the right populations of bacteria and fungi. And, you know, Dr. Lane Ingham covers this in depth in our courses. I cover this in my courses as well and in my books. Um, it's not that hard. And then mulch and organic matter. Well, go back and listen to Simple Soil Solutions, the last podcast. Um, because we talk about the importance of these things and how to really dial this up. But we need these to feed the whole soil food web. So if we don't have organic matter, if we're not bringing it in constantly in the form of mulch or chopping and dropping to make mulch, we do not have the soil life where we need it to be. So um, this is like we make compost, we inoculate it, we set the scene. But then we need to constantly be feeding that system with mulch, which is organic matter, in order for that bacteria and fungi situation to continue to build soil. And then inoculating with mycorrhizal fungi. This is, you know, really important. This is new for a lot of people. Let me tell you a little bit about this. All right. So everything's got partners. It's a lot of things have more than one partner. One of the most popular partners out there is one of our oldest fungi, one of the most mysterious fungi. It's our buscular mycorrhizal fungi. And it's very temporary. It can be there days or a couple weeks, um, but it's so significant, so significant. It's responsible in many cases for over 40% of the carbon sequestered into the soil. So our buscular mycorrhizal fungi is absolutely critical. And also is that one of those crazy, crazy fungi where you don't know, you know, who's who because it collects the nuclei of different fungi it encounters. And so we don't know which nuclei it's using when it interacts in a situation. So in other words, we don't know where the brain is. Something above nuclei that we can't see is controlling the fungi. <laughs> so I'll let you chew on that for a little bit. <laughs> All right, so nitrogen-fixing bacteria. Inoculate your soil once. You don't need to do it every single year, guys. Inoculate your legumes. Plant those seeds, your peas, your beans, with rhizobia bacteria. And there's other forms of nitrogen bacteria, nitrogen-fixing bacteria out there, too, that are non-odulating, like azotobacter um, bacteria. I mean, even truffles, you know, use uh, nitrogen-fixing bacteria. There's a lot of stuff going on coming down the pipe right now with nitrogen fixation that is going to um, blow people's minds. And a lot of it has to do with the fungi, you know, facilitating lichens are the nitrogen fixation mechanism in many cold temperate situations. All right, so growing mushrooms, shiitakes on a small, manageable sized log. Um, that you know, I know that's not the food soil web. It sort of is though because it breaks. It's breaking it down into usable material. A lot of people are like, "Oh man, I'm clearing this area. I've got all this wood." Well, this way you could turn that wood into serious value with shiitake mushrooms. 
And then suddenly you're like, oh, well, I don't need to buy those $16 a pound um, shiitake mushrooms. I grow them. I have so much that I'm selling them to my neighbor or at a local farmer's market um, as on consignment to this local farmer. Da, 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 da. You know, all these different solutions come out of that. And then, you know, you could have wood chip paths that you inoculate with Kingstrophoria. And then suddenly you've got mushrooms popping up in your paths. So easy. And then use birds to catch pests with attractant distraction plants. You don't want them eating your food, but you want them coming in and controlling things for you. And they're part of the food soil web too because their manure is part of that. Um, the exudates that are being put out by our plants are going to attract bugs that are going to attract those birds and do the manure. There's all these different steps to this. So we've got to include everyone. And then beneficial insects. Here's a quote from my book, The Permaculture Student 2. Predator insects with such fantastic names as minute pirate bug, assassin bug, soldier beetle, mealybug destroyer, and damsel bug can be attracted to the garden. There are many others with less fantastic names as well. Earwig, green lacewing, wasps, some flies, ladybugs, praying mantises, and more. These bugs are primarily attracted to plants in the Apiacea family. These are carrots, fennel, parsley, celery, cilantro, etc., and the Asteraceae family, sunflowers, daisies, lettuce, artichokes, calendula, dandelions, dahlia, yarrow, zinnias, etc. Planting a diversity of plants and letting them go to seed is important for pollinators and all the cycles they support and that support them. End quote. So you can really tell these plants because the Apiacea plants make this like umbrella um, shape, like a broken umbrella shape. Um, when they make their flowers. And then the Asteraceae family, they make that classic like daisy kind of small sunflower shaped um, flowers. And you can see them all the time uh, and recognize the pattern there. And then we're talking by design. Use zone planning. How many steps to each activity? Design so the things that need the most attention are closest to home. So you save time and energy. You don't want to get home at five and have to walk all the way over the hill with compost tea to compost tea your trees. You want to be able to walk right from the compost tea brewer a few steps to where you are putting it down. Otherwise, it's a ton of work. I know it. I've done that. Earthworks, water harvesting, water diverting, shade, windbreak, sound barrier, and more. Earthworks perform many functions and can save you money, time, and effort if you put in the effort initially. I was able to install two acres of swale by myself over the course of two years. Except for this one class where we installed the longest swale on my property, a shallow one on the lowest side of the hill. But it is possible for you to do it all DIY. And then lastly, multiple layered canopies. This creates shade and moisture holding capacity. And I really needed that in the Central Valley. Uh, and, you know, every food forest really needs that in general, too. And then lastly, through education, take a course. There are many permaculture introductions offered free online, as well as locally, almost everywhere in the world. And there's new advanced courses just starting to appear. And we will be running a Kickstarter for our team's advanced course this September. Read a book. Permaculture, holistic management, food forestry agroforestry, silviculture, or agroecology. Lots to choose from, lots of names out there, lots of different stuff all doing the same thing, trying to work with nature. But I always recommend going with the best 
to save you time and money. For the fastest way to understand and put into action the PDC information that everyone's paying $500 to $1,000 for, check out my book, The Permaculture Student One. You can download it as an ebook, super cheap. And it's written in an eighth grade reading level, so you get all the high level concepts down pat in an afternoon or two of reading and start building your homestead the way you want immediately. And then visit a local doing it right. Every region, no matter their label or system or practice, has someone doing something right that you can learn from. You might have to do some digging to find them, but it will be worth it. I read everything I could, tested everything I read, watched all the YouTube videos I could, talked to anyone that would answer, finally took Jeff Lawton's online PDC, and everything took off from there to entirely new levels. The information isn't rocket science. It's stuff we should all be learning in elementary and middle school, but we never had a chance. That's why I make books at lower reading levels with what we call today graduate school level information, but someday we'll call common sense. I'm Matt Powers. Grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively.